The Mind of Absolute Trust Translated by Stephen Mitchell Written by Sang Tsan This is an excerpt. The great way isn't difficult for those who are unattached to their preferences. Let go of longing and aversion and everything will be perfectly clear. When you cling to a hairbreadth of distinction, heaven and earth are set apart. If you want to realize the truth, don't be for or against. The struggle between good and evil is the primal disease of the mind. Not grasping the deeper meaning, you just trouble your mind's serenity. As vast as infinite space, it is perfect and lacks nothing. But because you select and reject, you can't perceive its true nature. In our practice today and in our dialogue, we have been returning over and over again to allowing everything to be as it is. Allowing everything to be as it is is a key to meditation and to engaging with life. This doesn't mean passivity, resignation, or dullness. No, we have to be very brave, very alert, and very alive in order to allow everything to be as it is. We become spiritual warriors, soft and strong at the same time. When we become spiritual warriors and give up our repeated attempts to make reality conform to the way we see it or the way we want it to be, we intuitively know if, when, and what the right course of action requires. Of course, if there's abuse, physical, verbal, sexual abuse, violence, addiction, or other dangerous behaviors, observing Accepting and allowing doesn't make sense. In these instances, we do what must be done to protect ourselves, our children, and the family. Over the course of the day, we've been looking at the story of me, the voice in the head, viewing challenging relationships and family transitions through that lens, and applying the Dharma to these conflicts in our lives. We see that every story has a protagonist, an antagonist, supporting characters, bit parts, and some walk-on players. Every protagonist is the star of his or her own story, 
even if he or she plays a victim role. Every protagonist, that's us, the me, has a goal to achieve, a desire that drives their behavior. The antagonist in our story, whether it's a person or a situation, thwarts that goal. In good storytelling, filmmaking, and great literature, the protagonist has a challenge, an obstacle they must face. In facing this obstacle, they must summon the best part of themselves, their strength, their courage, their will, in order to grow, free themselves, and to meet this challenge. Hafiz writes beautifully about this. He says, For we have not come here to take prisoners or to confine our wondrous spirits, but to experience every and ever more deeply our divine courage, freedom, and light. We, as the protagonist, tend to forget that in our antagonist life, they are the protagonist and the star of their story. They have something they want to achieve. When our adult children were young, we were the most important person or people in their lives. We were an ensemble. When our children become adults, we, the parents, then play supporting characters, often in the sidelines. This can be a tough transition, which is what brings many of you here today. Our adult children have lives and families of their own, and we are no longer at the center of the story. The ensemble has changed. Sometimes parents may be relegated to bit parts or occasional walk-ons, or they may be entirely estranged, and that can be deeply painful. When we open our eyes, we see that life is change. It's going on all around us. Impermanence again the strongest force there is, and the most difficult to accept. Lao Tzu said, How do we become still? By moving with the stream. And Suzuki Roshi, When we cannot accept the truth of transiency, we suffer. What goes into creating the story of me? As Rilke said, think of the world you carry within. That voice in the head, fueled by fear, tells us who we are and tells us 
who other people are. These definitions, proclamations, and ironclad conclusions are rooted in the past and arrive from our conditioning. From unexamined or unfinished business, from events, hurts, and traumas in our lives. In listening to these thoughts and taking them to be who we are, we inadvertently create a future that's just like the past. We can't keep these thoughts from entering the mind. We can't stop thinking. But we can learn to let them go, to let them pass, knowing that they are like clouds, like weather in a clear, open sky. There is a Zen saying, the obstacle is the path. Can we accept that challenge? That every obstacle we encounter is part of our path to wholeness, to freedom, to understanding. This is meditation in action. Hard enough, but gets really tough when applied to our closest relationships. What if we could make the shift from trying to change our loved one which is impossible to do, to listening deeply, to letting go of judgment, clinging, and control, to embracing the difficulty, the obstacle, and accepting it as part of our path. Learning to carry our ideas and our views lightly and to see them for what they are. I love this quote from philosopher Ludwig Wittgenstein. Do not seek the truth. Merely cease to cherish opinions. Do not seek the truth. Merely cease to cherish opinions. This is one way we can loosen the grip of the past. By ceasing to cherish our opinions. Perhaps for this moment. For the next sitting. Or maybe even for today. This shift in perspective is not something that happens all at once or once and for all. We have it, then lose it, and start again, just like mindfulness. The closer in that person is, the harder it is to do. We have the intractable idea, the belief, that our version of the story 
is true. We might be willing to concede that there's something we did to contribute to the tension. Something we could have done to improve communication. But we usually accept only a portion of responsibility. Maybe 50%. Well, usually less than 50%. And if we get really honest, we hold ourselves accountable for about 10 to 15%. How did we get to this ratio? We are looking through the lens of the egoic self that's driven by fear. The lens of our conditioning, our attachment to the past, to our expectations, and our need to be right. This makes it very difficult to see. So we're talking about 10 to 15% of the problem as our doing, while 80 to 90% of the problem is the other person's fault. But the Dalai Lama reverses that ratio and steepens it. To paraphrase, he says that 90% of the reactive emotions that we have, that we think others make us feel, are not caused by others, but in fact come from within. 90%. And that only 10% of that emotion is catalyzed or caused by the other person or situation. That is steep. 90-10. And it's not in our favor. It's going the other way. He goes on to say that when we point the finger of blame at others, we are unaware that there are three fingers pointing back at us. On the subject of truth, here's an excerpt from a text called the Platform Sutra. The wind was flapping a temple flag, and two monks were having an argument about it. One said that the flag was moving, the other that the wind was moving, and they could come to no agreement on the matter. They argued back and forth. Eno the patriarch said, It is not that the wind is moving, it is not that the flag is moving, it is that your honorable minds are moving. End quote. Modern physics supports this ancient text. Physicist Edwin Hubble says, Observations always involve theory. And Niels Bohr says, A great truth is a truth whose opposite is also a great truth. Let's think about that for a minute. 
what might be the other person's truth? What theories might we be bringing to our, quote, observations about our loved ones? And what Rumi says, out beyond right doings and wrong doings, there is a field. I will meet you there. And Rilke, I live my life in ever-widening circles. The Buddha described this life as composed of 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows. When sorrow occurs, we want to push it away. That's natural. We may think it shouldn't be happening, even though we know that this is the stuff of life. Knowing that there are 10,000 joys and 10,000 sorrows, all the more reason to embrace joy when it's there and to create the circumstances for joy to appear. Practicing kindness, compassion, and generosity to others and to ourselves. This understanding and these practices bring us closer to inner freedom which can be described or defined as a mind that doesn't cling. Before we begin our last sitting, I'm going to read an excerpt from a commencement address at Naropa University given by a man named Parker Palmer who was awarded an honorary doctorate there he has some insightful suggestions on how to live a meaningful life. This is Parker Palmer. Since suffering, as well as joy, comes with being human, I urge you to remember this. Violence is what happens when we don't know what else to do with our suffering. Sometimes we aim that violence at ourselves, as in overwork that leads to burnout and worse, or in many forms of substance abuse. Sometimes we aim that violence at other people. Racism, sexism, and homophobia often come from people trying to relieve their suffering by claiming superiority over others. The good news is that suffering can be transformed into something that brings life, not death. It happens every day. I know many people who suffered the loss of the dearest person in their lives. At first they go into deep grief, certain that their lives will never again be worth living. But then they slowly awaken to the fact that not in spite of their loss, but because of it, they become bigger 
more compassionate people, with more integrity, more capacity of heart to take in other people's sorrows and joys. These are broken-hearted people, but their hearts have been broken open rather than broken apart. So every day, exercise your heart by taking in life's pains and joys. That kind of exercise will make your heart supple, so that when it breaks, which it surely will, it will break not into a fragment grenade, but into a greater capacity for love. End quote. That's part of what we're doing here in this school of life, where we don't get to skip any grades. Transforming pain into a greater capacity for love. And there's no time to waste. I love this quote from a Tibetan Buddhist teacher. It's so powerful and succinct. I often begin my daily meditation practice this way. Quote, Since death is certain, but the time of death is uncertain, what must I do? End quote. Let's sit. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.